All year round, Frontier Home Products and Design has what you need to make your home comfortable and beautiful. Relax on a new timber tech deck designed by Frontier's experts. A new fireplace from Frontier Home Products Fireplace Gallery adds warmth and serenity to any home. Beauty and versatility at Frontier Home Products and Design Center, 4213 Peachtree's 5th next to the Bayfront Highway. Frontier Home Products and Design Center. Discover a new Frontier. PA contractor number PA039007. Jody Crumpy, director of the Erie City Mission Thrift Stores and Donation Center. When you shop at one of our two thrift stores or drop off items at our donation center, you are providing a meal. You are housing a man in our shelter, helping men and women overcome addiction, and giving our inner city youth an opportunity to learn. I want to thank you for making a difference. This is our city, our mission. God bless you. Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. We're doing kind of a mental health and behavioral health focus on this Wednesday, and I want to welcome back to the program Nicole Platts of the Achievement Center, and uh, good to see you, Nicole. Thanks. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you being on. And uh, we have with us Melanie Hetzel-Riggin. And uh, Melanie, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. All right, uh, we're a family show. We like to get origin stories. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up here in the area, or are you transplant in? No, I'm a transplant in. I've been here for about 10 years. Um, nice. I was able to come and start a master's program in applied clinical psychology at Penn State Barron about 10 years ago. and. I fell in love with the organization and the city and the. When you say you started one, you're a professor starting one. I'm a professor. Yeah, I'm a professor of psychology and currently the director of the School of Humanities and Social Sciences at Penn State Barron. So, wow. uh, Started with developing a program and have stayed to now run this one of the four schools. Now, uh, you know, one of the things that that we uh, really regard uh, Penn State Barron with a lot is our friend uh, Jim Hodge, Dr. Hodge, mm-hmm. and yep. uh, and the core. Yes. Do you guys interface a lot? Yeah, so core, uh, core is in my school, and actually James is, works for me. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, so the Susan Herhagen Center for Community Outreach, Research, and Evaluation, or CORE, uh, is part of a lot of our out, outreach um, and evaluation services and um, working within the schools for social-emotional learning and different types of trainings, including uh, the work that we do with trauma. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I was always fascinated on how many undergrad students engage into core and the stuff that they did as mentorships and mm-hmm. things like that. You yeah, know? we have a we have a large number of both uh, predominantly psychology students, but students in education and mm-hmm. even other. We've had engineering students and business students come and work in the schools and work in the, the community outreach that we do. Let's talk, Nicole mm-hmm. and and, uh, and Melanie. Uh, Let's talk about workforce in this space. We we had the conversation with my brother Jeff. I think we've had the conversation with with uh, Pat Her. I mean, like we're we're kind of hitting mm. this because 
When you're in human services, uh-huh. you need to have humans. The, the AI is not going to do the job, right? Absolutely. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So how, how are y'all, I mean, is there a lot of interest in this work that you're seeing? Yeah, I, I think there is a lot of interest. Um, I think, that, you know, the training for, for mental health workers is, is a bit intense, but I do know that we're, we're seeing an uptick in, at least in our program applications. I know the other schools in the region mm-hmm. with similar uh, programs are seeing the same. Uh, the problem is we we can't train them fast enough to meet the need yeah. uh, because we're ha- right now we have a lot of retirements and people leaving the profession for various reasons. So, uh, and uh, there's a continual gap, I think, in, in the amount of people we have available to, to serve the community in that capacity. Well, I'm really happy to hear that there's an increase mm-hmm. in applicants because as a behavioral health and mental health provider, mm-hmm. we are seeing quite the opposite and we have a big need Dude. to fill the workforce, mm-hmm. especially with mm-hmm. the demand and the need. Um, you know, we, we definitely don't want anybody to delay service mm-hmm. entry and we want to connect folks to what they need, but um, there is a workforce shortage at this point. And we don't want to just put any bodies in that position. Mm-hmm. We really want them to feel well-equipped and competent to be able to handle the complex needs of youth and families that we serve throughout Erie County. Mm-hmm. When you think about generationally and mental health, and I, I you know, the, the Achievement Center has been, how long is it? A hundred years. Oh, we're celebrating a hundred wow. years this, yes, this year. We're very excited about it. So we'll just even go, you know, Kids in the 80s and kids today, are we talking significant different challenges? I think we're seeing more complex and more um, severe challenges um, across the board than we've seen in the past. Uh, the rates of, of things like post-traumatic stress, particularly after COVID, depression, anxiety, suicide ideation, even psychotic features and dissociation are higher than I've seen in my professional life. Really? Wow. Uh, significantly so. I think you have to take a look at a, a lot of things that play that go into, um, you know, uh, mental wellness in general, right? One being uh, family discord or dysfunction and uh, chronic poverty, you know, access to, to the resources that you need to really thrive in any capacity. So I think we're seeing a shift not only in, in the culture or the way that uh, family units are kind of coming up and the way that our community is supporting one another. And and also, I think that there's a shift in um, the way we talk about mental health. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. people are, you know, reduce, working, doing the work to reduce stigma, to understand it, mm-hmm. to label things so that we can link people to the help and the resources that they need. So I do think there's a big shift in that there mentality. Is, definitely. Because if you look at the adolescents and emerging adults of today, they are much more comfortable talking about language related to mental health, advocating for their needs, discussing it with their peer group, discussing it with their family systems, reaching out to counselors, whether that's in their schools or their churches or other religious homes. So so even though I think the need is greater, I think the availability of, of wanting to go and, and seek resources and, and help is much greater than it has been in the past, which is beneficial because that's, mm-hmm. that's the huge first step. If you don't know right. someone needs help, you can't connect them with help. And, and I think you know, uh, bless our, our youth. Uh, they're, they're going in the right direction. <laughs> well, the, the theme of this event here is, uh, is, you know, Mental Health Awareness Month and the idea of the Trauma-Informed uh, Coalition to, uh, y- you know, to basically build resilience. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk terms here. Uh, Nicole, when you say resilience, what are we talking about here? 
Oh, gosh. So people define resilience in multiple ways, right? And we could think about it in a mental capacity, emotional capacity, or physical capacity. So but resilience used to be known as the ability to bounce back from something or stress, adversity, a challenging time in your life. Um, and what we know about resilience is that it's not something you're born with. It's something mm -hmm. that you can build up and hone in over time. Mm -hmm. And it just takes practice and awareness and the tools to be able to do so. So um, it's not too late for anybody to get mm -hmm. started on building their resilience. Um, and it's actually that ability to bounce forward mm -hmm. after things have happened to you, after stressful times, right? And so to not have them negatively affect you um, or be a devastating impact on your life, now we have this resilience. It's got a little bit more grit mm -hmm. to us and we're able to carry on mm -hmm. um, through life if yeah. we, uh, you know, better than if we wouldn't have had it. Yeah, we, we know a lot more about the different ways we can teach uh, resiliency skills throughout a whole bunch of different areas, particularly around things like changing how you think about your situations, reaching out to people who can be supportive, um, changing just how you think about the future. And, and so we know how to teach those things, which makes it easier to teach youth, adults, whomever, on how to grow that resiliency. Well, but I'm interested in, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like a broader societal mm -hmm. approach to all of this, because, you know, if you were, if you were to ask my father, you know, mm -hmm. who came up in the Great Depression about resiliency, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's all they had it is. It, but they would call that picking up by our bootstraps mm -hmm. or going to get a good education mm -hmm. so that you can make better or, you know, or instilling these, you know, strong Mm -hmm. you know working values of of, of hard work mm -hmm. and and uh you know getting an education and so that you can improve yourselves we're in a different world right now well, than I, that i so i i don't think we are that far off i think we've realized that not everybody has boots you talk about pulling up yourself up by your bootstraps you need to have boots and we're recognizing more and more that people don't have boots or they haven't learned you know you talk about having your father teach you that there's a lot of families where you have long-standing generational trauma where parents didn't teach that to their kids because right. they didn't know it themselves and so what we've realized uh in systems whether that's community systems governmental systems different educational organizations is that finding ways to teach these skills to kids um, as well as families and and other uh, people in the community helps us sort of meet that gap where mm. those those people haven't learned it because it hasn't been in their family systems there's, and yeah and there's there's also research out there that trauma actually gets under your skin right it changes yeah. the way that your dna is transcribed and so when you think about generational trauma historical trauma there are um you know children of holocaust survivors who had never experienced such a stressful event in time but their ancestors have and now they have more a higher rate of changes anxiety and depression because it changes your dna so um that doesn't mean that they're quote unquote doomed right we can yeah. like yeah. melanie said really teach them how to build resilience and so we have to be really mindful when we're interacting with folks within the community and recognize that trauma doesn't happen in a vacuum and neither does healing mm -hmm. right and so we have to kind of be mindful that we're being connected and supported to each other because we never know what someone may have experienced or what they're going through and recognizing their starting place might be different than those of us who are, are or have had healthy family systems in the past and have learned a these resilient skills there, right yeah. and we do know that social support is one of the biggest buffers 
Uh, we know that that mm-hmm. having even just one supportive social person, an adult in your life, is incredibly protective. And so, even if it's just developing those, let's go back to what you talked about with the mentor project from Baron, is developing that one thing is so protective. And so, finding other ways, whether it's social, um, you know, connections or or other community resources. I'm interested. Again, we have this hundred-year-old uh, organization at Achievement Center, and you you have those family you, you have those family unit conversations. How often these days, and is it has it changed over years, where you're really needing to provide? Uh, I'll go back to what Dr. Herford said from uh, from community care. Provide that uh, that mask to the mom and dad before you give the mask to the kid. You yeah, know, I as far back. as the oxygen mask, right? I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, children aren't raising themselves, right? And so yeah. anytime we push in, even though we are a child-serving mm-hmm. agency, anytime we push into a family unit, we're really focused on what are the natural resources and supports that exist for this family, and that includes the child. And oftentimes it is um, a, a equipping the, the caregivers with the tools that they also need to be ha- able to handle some of those stressors that come up from parenting, right? Mm-hmm. And so you were not only teaching the kids coping skills, we're also sometimes mm-hmm. handling, um, not handling, but helping the adults in the situation um, cope and learn and um, just improve the family unit. And that's true for most of the mental health agencies in town that work with families is it's not just working with the kid or even just the kid parent dyad. It's working with the family system or, mm-hmm. you know, in in the schools or in a larger community group that where the kid interfaces and that is evidence-based and, and probably the most effective way to change not just what's happening with the child or even the child and the parent, but the whole entire system. Mm-hmm. When we t- again, when we talk about a trauma-informed community, uh, is there is there a lot riding on the presence uh, and the mindfulness of our of our teachers and educators mm-hmm. insofar as that these children are in school so much mm-hmm. longer than maybe they're even awake at home, mm-hmm. right? I mean, uh, are, are have we have are we needing now teachers to add one more thing to their plate? You know. Well, and and actually, the state of Pennsylvania has actually changed some regulations about teachers. So at, we also have education um, as a field in my school, and and so we're already engaging pre-service teachers and learning about trauma in a greater way than we have mm-hmm. before. So they enter the workforce informed. But um, so yes, uh, but I also think we're doing that. One of the things that ECTIC Erie Coalition for a Trauma-Informed Community has done over the last few years frequently is work with our educators and school districts to provide that training for schools and for teachers mm-hmm. and providing an opportunity for uh, those teachers to ask questions and learn more about how they can ha- be trauma-informed in their teaching practices and in developing their classrooms and even the entire school district. Are you seeing that too with your groups? We are. And I, I want to just kind of say we have to be patient with the schools, mm-hmm. right? They're taking yeah. on a lot and they're sure. often the first place that um, any, you know, community change or, mm-hmm. you know, supporter wants to rush to because it's a captive audience, right? It's a it's a great place to identify really early on what children need mm-hmm. and to connect them to the resources. I think that's why we're seeing, you know, prioritization over community schools too, right? Mm-hmm. Bringing the resources mm-hmm. closer to the families and the children so that they can get their basic needs met and they can really thrive in the educational system setting and reach success, right? So um, when we when we think about that shift, it, it's not just on the educators. It's, it's really entire. about us all mm-hmm. being trauma-informed, good humans mm-hmm. and showing up in all of our spaces 
with uh, the you know the perspective of being just kind and compassionate yeah. and empathetic with people and really you know we go back to what trauma-informed care and perspectives are it's just when someone is interacting with you and it's uncomfortable or you're unsure what to do just just take the perspective not that something's wrong with this person it's something happened to them right. that their behavior that they're the way they're acting with you is due to something that happened in the past and it just shifts how you interact with people how you ask questions and makes it less likely to lead to conflict mm-hmm. yeah I, I think where where people are going to need where people are going to need to find the the kind of the sweet spot of all that is mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily you know when does it encroach on my rights mm-hmm. but but as far as but you know, if, if if you know if a child is acting out mm-hmm. and a teacher feels threatened, mm-hmm. so, we've got to intervene until mm-hmm. we can bring down the temperature and and start on the solution side of things. Absolutely, right? and there are, you know there's really good evidence based de escalation techniques there that that we use, yeah. and but it's even just how your attitude is. There are still here are the rules, here are the regulations, and then there are consequences to such. But in engaging with that student about it, you're keeping yourself calm. You're keeping yourself talking to them as if they are a human being who deserves respect. Amen. But who also has to follow the particular regulations with appropriate consequences. So even that shift changes even the dynamic on what happens after that case. We're talking uh, to Dr. Melanie Hetzel-Riggin. She is here uh, from Penn State Barron and uh, you're the dean up there? I'm I'm one of the school directors. Okay. I like that. Uh, Nicole Platts, uh, you're COO now, right? Uh, what are you? What are Gee, you? That's funny. <laughs> don't, tell, don't tell Cassie. Uh, <laughs> okay, Cassie COO, right. Gotcha, yeah. Chief Community Impact Officer. And in that role, I get to be the coordinator for the Erie Coalition for Trauma and Community. Very okay. happy about that. And who, who, else is, who else is on that kind of like the core group of the coalition, right? So the other co-chair is Mandy Fobble, Dr. Mandy right. Fobble from Fobble, UPMC sure. Safe Harbor, um, Cassie Dundon from Achievement Center, as well as uh, Steve Minnick. Minnick from Family Services, mm-hmm. who are the past co-chairs are on it. You talked about uh, Dr. James Hodge. He is also a member of our executive committee. Dr. Wilson Brown, who's another faculty member in psychology. Who else is on there? We have some members from the Department of Human Services and from the United Way. And, you know, we really started out with 17 steering uh, committee Mm -hmm. members who came together and said, we have this passion about Mm -hmm. trauma. We're recognizing a need for it in our community. I mean, you think about gun violence on the Mm -hmm. the rise. You think about chronic poverty, you know, drug overdoses, domestic violence. And there was such a need for it. And so in 2017, we started the coalition with this dream of building a resilient community, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we um, have some priority areas, and one of them is raising awareness and educating um, everyone in mm-hmm. the community who would like to learn more about resilience and trauma and the impact it has on individuals. And, and how they can incorporate it in their own work. But we truly want to be a community mm-hmm. um, collaboration. Mm-hmm. And so there's you know other behavioral health, mental health, academic institutions that have come to the table. And we have over 100, uh, I'm sorry, over 1,100 community members, too, oh, wow. just mm-hmm. concerned individuals who also see a need for us to kind of steer mm-hmm. the ship in a different direction or ready to, to take some change to make some change you mentioned uh you know some social determinants of health mm-hmm. I, I mean uh, that comes up a lot mm-hmm. as far as how do you how do you how do you are you ready for class if if you didn't have mm-hmm. something to eat that or you were you're cou- you mm-hmm. know, couch surfing the mm-hmm. night before and so on um i mean certainly uh, are, are we making any progress with some of those things 
and you know, is and are there the federal and state programs that we're hearing a lot about money out there? I mean, is money coming to bear to to, to kind of move the needle on those things? I think in some places it is. I, I you know, I we we had made some significant progress prior to the pandemic, and I think we're moving back in that direction. Uh, it was really challenging because a lot of those social determinants of health, the ways we address them, require engagement with the people going to homes and and it just became a real struggle because of, of the need for social social isolation but i think we're there i mean i think we're mm. going back in that direction it's just um there's also new ways of addressing it because you're seeing slightly different different impacts than before um as well as uh you know i think there's higher levels of anxiety that we're seeing that yeah. we didn't see before which just takes a little bit of a different uh, taken and how to address it. But there are some different programs and, and pockets. You know, I, I agree on, and talk about the community schools. That's a great avenue that I think continues to grow, which is a great way to deal with social determinants of health. There, there's other coalitions as well as ours that are addressing, um, as well as different organizations and agencies that are addressing some of them. It's just going, get, trying to get to a place where we're working in concert on yeah. all of these, which is is a big challenge. Is there ever Is there ever a place where the socioeconomic um, uh, place where your client might be in is a like if, if they have more resources, does that sometimes become a problem? I'll start by saying mental illness, mental health conditions, they do not discriminate. Correct. They affect yeah. people across all socioeconomic domains. Um, and so there's a stigma associated with certain groups mm -hmm. for help seeking behaviors or for quote unquote labeling mental health or illness. And so those um, communities or pockets are less likely to, to reach out, but we are doing great work in the area community yes. to try to break down those silos and reduce that stigma. And so we're not seeing that as much, right? Good. Um, but I will say, too, that Erie is doing a good job. We are resource yeah, rich. We, we are. are very lucky compared to other communities. If we look at just more of the rural counties that surround us, Crawford County is just not as fortunate as Erie County to have Warren the supports County. that we have. Yeah. Warren County is in the same boat. So we do a, we do a great job um, trying to answer the call mm. that our people have. Yep. There's no doubt about it. All right. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of stuck. I got like a minute and a half before the bottom of the hour. So I don't know if I want to jump into the event. But when you, when you talk about, I mean, we were talking about the definition of resiliency and, and building some grit. Um, I, I'm just going to sound like mm -hmm. the, an old person for a second here. You know, I mean, we, there's this generational mm -hmm. divide of, of uh, you know, boomers thinking that, that uh, those that are that are Gen Zers or Millennials just don't have the capacity mm. to to function. And I'm again, no, you know, no matter what the econ the the social economic strata mm. is, uh, I mean, how do you turn some of those attitudes around and say, no, you know, why don't you listen a little bit here, you know? Well, I think the different generations find it in their own way. Um, I know, you know, I've I've got kids in in that that age range and and they're pretty resilient kids they just do it differently than i think other generations have so it's it's talking that language in a way that they understand hopefully without going into the urban dictionary <laughs> i like that a lot let's finally get to this 31 day resilience challenge that the trauma coalition is is authoring here when does it start what's it all about what do you want people to do 
So May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Coalition, being a group of various organizations, thought that it would be appropriate that we kind of take the lead on this throughout Erie County, and that we wanted to launch um, a 31-day challenge to encourage people to build resilience, personal and community resilience. And so what it's all about is it's a, it's a social media campaign. Um, we're asking folks to go to the website, check out the calendar, do the one simple daily resilience building activity that exists. Um, um, take a picture of yourself doing it, post it on your social media using hashtag resilient me and eerie. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of leaf through all of those photos and pick out our, our favorite ones. We've already started highlighting our photos of the week. Shout out to ECAC. Um, no, uh, yeah, the Erie Center for Arts and Technology. Technology. They have been very creative with their posts and we are enjoying them. Um, but we just wanted to get the community involved and show them that when we talk about building resilience, we are not talking about anything that's a heavy, heavy mm-hmm. lift. Mm. Sometimes it's taking you know, a pause. Sometimes it's discovering your why. Why are you a teacher? Mm-hmm. Why are you um, a cashier? Why are you a bus driver? Why are you a radio announcer, right? Mm-hmm. Why do I do what I do? And once we know we are why, we are more likely to feel mm-hmm. fulfilled in our positions and then be more joyful and less burnout overwhelmed by them so it's a long long talk about it but we really just wanted to show everyone that building resilience is something that can be achieved and that if you practice it over time you're going to build that skill and be more likely to handle adversity and stress um, in a more positive way so we launched the 31 day challenge on may 1st we're going to wrap things up on may 31st with our um, mental health awareness day event we're calling it a pause for wellness that's going to be held down at the Blasco Library in the auditorium from noon until 2.30. It is completely free and open to all community members. We're going to have some vendors there giving out some resources and free information. We're also going to have lots of free prizes and raffle baskets. Um, we will have someone doing a wellness moment. I'm told it's going to be chair yoga, which I am very interested <laughs> in. Um And then we're going to have some folks really talking about how do you prevent burnout Mm -hmm. in whatever capacity that you serve in. How do you, as a mom, as a sister, as, you know, um, a worker, how do you... Community member, yeah. Community member, how do you prevent that? Yeah, uh, uh, sometimes, yeah, the the burnout comes Mm -hmm. quick when you do a lot of... All right, I want to see if I can do one of these things. So where am I finding (laughs) the... the, traumainformederie.org there's a tab for mental health awareness okay there we go yep and you scroll there it is the awareness month okay we're in week three gotcha okay uh resilience challenge week three okay here's wednesday the or or tuesday yeah wednesday the 17th be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and share something new about yourself with someone you trust that's important though the trust part right mm-hmm. because we talked about healing happens in relationships we don't want someone to disclose something and be very vulnerable with someone who they can't trust mm-hmm. with that information who might take it in a negative way or, or have a reaction to it so if you trust us in the rest of the area community <laughs> listening I'm not sh- we're ready all right uh, well i i could you know i could share a little bit here i could i can share right I mean, come on uh, so so and my family knows this. So when I was growing up, I was super nerdy, okay? And I wouldn't necessarily be gravitated to going outside and playing, although that supposedly my generation was all about that. We would play until the lights came on. And, all, and I did all that stuff. But I would read the phone book. Mm. It's weird. But I would look up businesses and look up my name or look at our family's name. And 
I don't know. Like it just, I have this weird interest in knowledge of random stuff. I'm a bit of an autodidactic, mm-hmm. but I like to learn mm-hmm. things. But uh, what the heck with the phone book? I don't, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I think about what you're doing right now and you're having people from all over the community come talk to you about stuff that you would probably find in the phone book. So it seems a little bit like uh, job <laughs> development to me. That's um, And really appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'll just go in the corner now. Uh, now, isn't that weird, though? Like... Uh, so, you know, so. but I, I read mean, the dictionary. What, so. yeah, right. I love the dictionary. I love Encyclopedia Britannica, right? Uh, the No, I mean, as far as what what is released, I'm sure even on a hormonal chemical level, mm-hmm. that vulnerability is mm-hmm. is releases something, right? It releases some kind of uh, a help. Yeah, I mean, it. The biggest one is, not necessarily necessarily what you're saying, but doing that within a relationship, it does release oxytocin, and it also develops that that relationship. Um, Humans as mammals, we thrive in relationships, and Mm -hmm. having a trusting relationship that feels... Uh, multiple ways where you feel like you can support each other is, is like I said before, one of the best buffers against stress. It also provides um, so much to us in terms of our development and, and a container for us to feel, you know, safe and, and able to grow. And whatever, if you label it weird, I, I label it interesting as a lifelong <laughs> academic who loves to learn and is never yeah. leaving an academic institution. So, I, you know, I, it helps us. It really helps us when we're with people we trust and who trust us. It's it's interesting. Um, the uh, I, I kind of lost my thought, but the the idea of um, of what the pandemic did on a fundamental level to that end, mm-hmm. Melanie. I mean, like by by saying you cannot be in the physical space mm-hmm. of your grandmother who mm-hmm. used to be, you know this this pillar of strength for you oh my god mm-hmm. i mean what did we do mm-hmm. i know we had to stop a, a virus but did we have any clue the long trail behind this i think we still don't even have the data I to don't. prove you know what the impact uh, was but what we do know is that it was by definition considered a collective trauma yes. where all of us would be by definition mm-hmm. considered traumatized by mm-hmm. by what happened that abrupt loss of routine um support you know mm-hmm. uh jobs for some of us financial security and and the prolonged amount of stress the duration yeah. that the pandemic continued with this uncertainty right and so when we think about trauma and when we teach about it we talk about the continuum of stress right where some stress is tolerable and it's good for us and it can almost motivate us to achieve our goals right. to study for a test and get a good grade so on and so forth but then there's these chronic prolonged mm-hmm. periods of stress which actually do damage to the developing brain of a child mm-hmm. and um and we see like mm-hmm. you know negative effects of that it can also really affect your endocrine system and the other parts of your of your of your body that just really wear and, and tear on you and so it's really interesting um you know the the long i think the long standing nature of it is really what we're seeing as being so problematic because it, it we know long standing chronic stress and 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 trauma can impact your physical health in mm-hmm. a way so you pair that with you know 
long COVID and the impact of COVID is you're seeing not only people struggling with significant mental health and social issues, but physical health issues as mm -hmm. well that are somewhat just related to to experiencing a collective trauma. The other thing, though, when, when this first happened, and, and we do have research that kind of predicted some of these things. And so yeah. I think we were able to put some supports in place. But, you know, one thing I reflect on is is even though it wasn't perfect and it wasn't you know, the same as being in physical contact with people. The fact that we have at least enough technology to communicate with each other, mm -hmm. that I think mitigated it to an extent that if it had even happened 10 years ago and we didn't have iPhones, iPhones yeah. and, and video conferencing, mm -hmm. I, you know, it still wasn't great and it was definitely challenging. But I just, I even think 10 years ago what that impact would have been. Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? Uh, kudos to us as humans, mm -hmm. right? Because we got really yeah. creative during that time. Yes. I mean, I was attending virtual happy hours with people mm -hmm. and, and we just got really creative, but it also highlighted the need for social connection. Yeah, And, and, and I think it exasperated the socioeconomic strata mm -hmm. because, uh, because the, the one that was used to going to the nursing home to check in mm -hmm. with, with pops couldn't, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, and it, I don't know. I, again, I'm not trying to relitigate it all, but I, it makes me wonder if the powers that be are putting enough resources at this at this time in our in the in the uh, the timeline to really really try to to triage and and recover. Can we be in recovery now? You know. On, on a behavioral health basis. I think that I, I think we're seeing this, right? Mm -hmm. We're seeing the need for funding to come downstream mm -hmm. so that we can um, get more students interested in, in, in mm -hmm. going into the mental health and behavioral health workforce. So we've already identified that. SAMHSA just announced today yeah. that they are going to allocate an additional $200 million to the crisis lifeline. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. um, 988 for suicide prevention. And then um, Pennsylvania is working on a 1% so mm -hmm. solution, meaning they, they would love for 1% of the annual budget to go towards upstream prevention. So mm -hmm. wow. it is being recognized and there are conversations happening to start to shift um, into like supporting recovery. And yeah. I think a lot of the, the local resources are, are there and they're doing this work. It's, it's, you know, a lot of it right now is just trying to figure out how we do this at an entire county level because mm -hmm. there are different pockets of the community that are doing this very successfully. It's, it's really figuring out, you know, how do we do this collectively as an entire group of people? And, and that's where it's, yeah, there's powers of be when it comes to funding and resources, but this is where we can, we can do it. You know, one of the things I really like about Erie, even though I'm a transplant, is that that, you know, it's it's easy to find connections with various different peoples, and 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 I think utilizing that this can be as simple as talking to someone when you go to your religious institution, or you go pick up your kid from school, or you're waiting in line at Starbucks. It's just mm -hmm. making those connections, so then when opportunities come together, it becomes a collective impact. It's collective, mm -hmm. not just from a top down, but from a community, which is part of what Ectic is trying to do. Yeah, I I I, I, I get a sense of like. You know, should we be deploying um, uh, or or sending sending some of our our youth volunteers, for, let's say, for our faith institution to a, a trauma informed event? Mm -hmm. You know, should should we be upping our game? Let's mm -hmm. say on the church level, on the community center level, mm -hmm. at, at school, uh, at Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. I mean, just everybody has kind of got to be in on this thing because 
we're overwhelmed with uh, anxiety mm-hmm. and depression with our young people. Yeah, and I, and that's one of the things I think ECTIC is trying to do is, is get into every sector and, mm-hmm. and teach people about how to build trauma resiliency and whatever their relationships are and mm-hmm. whatever um, their, their networks are. And, and you can do that. You can do that with little to no training in anything mental health. You can do this as a banker. You can do this as someone who's a cashier at Wegmans. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyone can learn how to do things from a trauma-informed perspective within their scope of, of what they do. I love that that you know people in customer service. Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe maybe get a mm-hmm. get a get a little new learning and mm-hmm. understanding where your where your uh, the folks that in line might be coming mm-hmm. from. That's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. The uh, I, I got about five minutes left with my one of my friends here from uh, the Trauma Informed Coalition. Uh, as as we we're gathering on the thirty first, we're gonna have fun, maybe win some prizes and so on. And uh, I want you to kind of you know think about some of the some of the folks that might be listening. We have a lot of grandparents mm-hmm. listening. We have a lot of parents that listen. Even even young people that have little guys. And um, how do you build mindfulness? How do you build up resiliency? in your home in your in your space what can that granddad do for the grandson for example to build that kind of thing well i i like to go with the gps so um that's that's the direction so gps and in it's one of the acronyms we use in some of our trainings is developing a growth mindset is understanding that you may not know how to do something or it might be a struggle but you can still learn it's you don't know how to do that yet i was putting that yet mm-hmm. um also uh the p is perspective or or what, what's your why what's your purpose uh so back to what um nicole said earlier is understanding why you're doing th- why are you parenting why are you a grandfather why are you doing your job why are you doing whatever you're doing and finding out what that why is because that will motivate you to do that in just a little bit better or a little bit more invested and intentional and then the s one is is just developing and, and maintaining social relationships is connecting with others, connecting with grandkids, connecting with coworkers, connecting with whomever, uh, just to develop and maintain those social relationships. And those are real simple things that, that anyone can do to build resilience and to build those connections and, and to grow resilience in our community. And Nicole, do you, do you encourage a lot of the children that come under the, your purview to kind of de- technology i mean kind of separate from technology i i keep on hearing that from educators that geez you know the more they're on the phones the less that they're able to learn you know well what we certainly do is we try to teach self-regulation skills mm-hmm. and yeah. what that takes is yep. the ability to recognize when you're at a heightened state of arousal right and so can you do that when you're tuned into minecraft you know do you lose all sense mm-hmm. of like your psychosomatic symptoms mm-hmm. and that sort of thing do you know when you have to go to the bathroom can you feel the sensation of being hungry do you know when you're getting upset all those things that Um, you know, video games Mm -hmm. and technology can distract you from. And so when we talk about coping skills Mm -hmm. and self-regulation and being able to communicate in an effective way, we do look at all of those things that might be distracting someone from being able to get there and do those things. We do suggest that there be a tech detox for a lot of people, adults too, Mm -hmm. because social media can be stressful. We can be bogged down by all the negative stuff that's happening, the news articles, and it can inflict fear Mm -hmm. and anxiety and uncertainty and additional stress. And so when you're trying to, uh, you know, take a break and feel better about something yeah we do suggest a tech detox is that one of those uh, is that in your challenge to, it, there to was stay away there was from the put phone the phone away day? there was <laughs> so then i was like well how are they gonna take a selfie and post on it but that's i did awesome. it i did it i said good uh, signing off for the night gonna do my yep. thing talk to you tomorrow oh that's awesome <laughs> 
No, I, 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 I you're right though. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, never fails. You're, you're at a, you're at a, a you know, a, a eighty dollar plate restaurant, and everybody's on their phone. And you're mm-hmm. like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. What's going on here? You know. And the so other thing it does is too. it's it's a, a barrier or a buffer mm-hmm. between the relationship you could potentially have with somebody yeah. else. So just when you think about that, just lower mm-hmm. and be able to connect with someone. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, the the idea that uh, no matter what age, you need to have that social. What did you call it? Social relationships, uh, mm-hmm. social connections. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, uh, it, it, you know, for for folks that are homebound, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about my my mom. You know, mm-hmm. she's not going to go anywhere, mm-hmm. but she has people coming to her. Mm-hmm. Plus, she is on that Facebook. Oh, yeah. good lord, is she connected with everybody's life? <laughs> she knows everything that's going on with everybody, right? And so, yeah, I mean, that's what, mm-hmm. that's really a lifeline for her. Mm-hmm. I, I think about my, my stepfather who is also, he's, he is, is somewhat homebound um, and physically has uh, some challenges and, and he's in assisted living, but what he's done with the social connections, cause, cause it's hard to get to him and him to us, it really is impossible is he'll go, he started cooking for all of the people <laughs> down his, his hallway and that's just to develop social relationships. So it can look however yeah. Makes sense to you, particularly you know, if people are a little bit introverted. It can be just one person. It, it's something to connect and, and be part of the community and feel like you're connected with everybody else. I think we've talked in the past and we've had this mm-hmm. conversation about just the fundamental of loving your neighbor, mm-hmm. right? The fundamental of that. And so many of us don't even know who our neighbors mm-hmm. are. And I heard a good tip, uh, uh, have you guys react, but uh, when, when you're trying to get to know somebody, ask them for help. Everybody wants to help. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe if you're trying to figure out what to do uh, or you need a skill or, you know, checking something out in your car, uh, like my 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 uh, left uh, turn signal is not working, you know, uh, you know, ask, ask, ask help. Mm-hmm. Maybe that can make a, a, a connection that mm-hmm. you didn't have before. Mm-hmm. That's very yeah. true. I, I think that's absolutely true. Neat. Opens up dialogue. Yep. That's mm-hmm. the first step to social connection. Absolutely. All right. So the uh, the the resilience challenge is in week three. We're building a resilient Erie County PA here on Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, tell us again about the activities on the 31st down at the Hurt Auditorium. Right. So join us on May 31st from noon until 2.30 at the Blasco Library and the Auditorium. We're, it's a free event open to all members of the Erie community. Um, and we're going to have some vendors, some prizes, light refreshments, a little bit of training and wellness activities, and we hope it'll be a great day for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you already had your conference, your big conference. Was oh, that we early? Had that, yeah, we, uh, the new conference has been scheduled for 3-1-24, so our third okay. annual Community Resilience Conference in March 1st, 2024. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, put that down. Again, that's yes. where mm-hmm. if you're a teacher, a caregiver, you know, a scout leader, go that's for it, if man. If you're curious, you want resources, just want to learn more, or you want to present. Oh, my. We're always looking for different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, great to see you. Nicole Thanks. Platts from the Achievement Center. Uh, Dr. Melanie Hetzel Riggin from Penn State Barron. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com. <laughs>